This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. The Transport Secretary Mark Harper joined Sophie Ridge this morning at a time when public sector strikes are high on the agenda. Though rail unions claim to have found Harper far more satisfactory to work with than his predecessor Grant Shapps, Harper cautioned that this did not mean the government purse strings were about to open much further. We're facing a very difficult economic situation. Uh, there's the, the getting the economy back on track after the pandemic. There's the war in Ukraine. It's worth remembering that the economy, the amount we're spending on dealing with higher energy prices, it's the equivalent of a whole new national health service, right? So that's the economic contest. We had an awesome statement where we got the public finances back on track, stabilised the economic situation. We're seeing interest rates now not having to rise as much as they would otherwise have to do. Um, that, that is the context. So I think we want to make sure people have pay rises, but they've got to be pay rises that are affordable for the public sector and in the, the wider economic context. So are you effectively saying then that an inflation matching pay rise is unaffordable in the public sector? Yes, I think inflation matching or inflation busting pay rises are unaffordable. And I think we want to try and give all the workers in the public sector who work very hard decent pay rises, but they can't be inflation busting pay rises. Okay. Ridge brought up the government's online harms bill, which will soon be back before the House of Commons. She asked Harper if the provisions of the bill, which have proved controversial among Conservative MPs, would apply as much to adults as to children. You're talking there about um, people's concerns over free speech. I mean, Kemi Badenoch, for example, of your own uh, cabinet uh, colleague, uh, saying over the summer we should not be legislating for hurt feelings. There's worry about this on the Conservative side, right? Well, look, there's been a debate uh, uh, amongst lots of people about getting the balance right. Now, legislation, there are no... On these sort of difficult subjects, there are no easy answers. It's about balancing different things that you have to be concerned about. Protecting children is very clearly what the government wants to do. Um, and then it's dealing with the other issues, but making sure that you don't uh, clamp down on free speech. So there's a balance to strike there. And as I said, the government will set out uh, you know, where, where we've made decisions uh, in just over a week's time in Parliament when the legislation comes back for a further full day of debate. Are you not telling us whether it's just children or if it's adults as well because you don't know or because you just don't think we should be told yet? No, I'm telling you, there's a proper process in Parliament, you know, as a former Chief Whip, uh, I happen to think it's quite important that when Ministers set out policies, uh, that they set them out in Parliament first, where Members of Parliament can hold them to account on behalf of their constituents. You know, there'll be people in Parliament who have been campaigning on these issues. Ministers can set out the detail, because on these subjects, the detail matters, and they can set out what the government proposes in detail, and then there's a full debate in Parliament uh, on Monday the 5th. Laura Coonsberg interviewed the Shadow Leveling Up Secretary Lisa Nandy and asked her if Labour would be able to deliver the pay increases that Harper said the Conservatives could not. Look, we want to see people paid enough money to live on and rewarded fairly for the contribution that they make. But what you're asking me is not, would we match inflation? You're asking me to commit to a specific number without having been invited into the negotiations and seeing the books. What I can tell you is that we think it's unconscionable that nurses and rail workers 
who went out and kept this country moving during a pandemic are not being paid enough to put food on the table. We're looking at every single way that we could help with that, including a long-term plan for the economy and getting more resources very quickly in the first 100 days of a Labour government into the National Health Service through scrapping non-DOM tax status so that we can ease the workforce pressures. There's a real capacity problem in the NHS. People are very burnt out and that is compounding the cost of living crisis. So we're going to use every means at our disposal to help people because they deserve it and because the country can't go on like this. But if you believe workers deserve it, can you give workers watching this morning or the rest of our viewers any sense of the kinds of increases that you might support? 5%, 7%, 15% like the barristers got? Can you give us any sense of the kind of number that would be acceptable? Well, I could do that, but I would have to pluck it out of thin air because we haven't seen the books, we haven't been invited into the negotiations. And so it's not possible for me to tell you what's affordable. What's worse than that, though, is not that we haven't been invited into the negotiations, but that those workers haven't. The reason that we're facing strike action is because you've got nurses after 106 years who are going out on strike because the health secretary refused to meet them all summer in order to negotiate. The only reason he met them is because strike action became a real and looming prospect. Koonsberg also interrogated Nandi on Labour's policy on free movement of people. You stood on for the leadership of the Labour Party in 2020, promising that you would protect freedom of movement. Keir Starmer did the same, promising he would defend freedom of movement. This week, he said something completely different, that he's got no interest in freedom of movement, it cannot return. You have also changed your position. How can you attack the Conservatives for chopping and changing and going backwards and forwards when actually you've done exactly the same thing? Well, I've always believed in freedom of movement, but only if it's allied to a strong investment in the skills and the opportunities for young people here in Britain. So we haven't changed our position in, in that respect. What we You've have changed You've completely changed your position. Keir Starmer used to say he would defend freedom of movement. Now this week he said he's not interested in it. You can't turn back the clock and this is no longer a Labour policy. Well, what's the, what's the route to freedom of movement? Essentially applying to rejoin the European Union in one form or another. That's just not on the table. It's not on the table from European leaders. There's no appetite to reopen negotiations. There's nobody in this country, I think, who wants to go back to years of endless division. But what we should be doing is building a proper immigration system that looks at labour shortages, that invests in the skills of our young people first, and then invites immigrants to Britain to fill those gaps and make a significant contribution. That seems to me a serious plan, not the endless back of a fag packet policies that we have floated by this government that unravel as fast as they're announced. The former Conservative Party chairman Jake Berry told Coonsberg that Michael Gove's public opinions about onshore wind farms might be a bad omen. There's a story on the front page of The Telegraph about the dispute over onshore wind, a suggestion there that the Cabinet Minister, Michael Gove, actually disagrees with the Prime Minister on that. And there's another really interesting piece by Robert Colville on, in The Sunday Times. Now, he's a very well-connected Conservative, and he's basically making the case there that lots of people in your party think the game's up, it's over, the iceberg is, is on its way. Is he wrong? Yeah, I think he is wrong, actually. I Just pick up first on the Michael Gove. Mm. I think that spells real danger for my government. The minute you see cabinet discipline break down, I was in the Liz Trust government, we sort of knew it was over when we lost cabinet collective responsibility. This is the first 
crack in the wall from Michael Gove. He has got a bit of form on this, I might add. Uh, Boris Johnson famously used to call wind turbines the white satanic mills of the north of England when they were building them all over my constituency. He's changed his mind on them. I, to a large extent, have changed my mind, and I'm going to um, be supporting Simon Clark and, and his so amendment. you will also I, I will be going be for Unsure. Amendment, because I just think... You know, if you want to know why we should have more renewables, just look at your gas or electricity bill. It's really simple, right? Just look at the bill when it arrives in your inbox or, or through your letterbox. Um, more widely on, on, on colleagues' morale, I do think the government's got quite a narrow window to grip some of these issues and, and prove that we are competent to the British public. And if we do that, I can absolutely see a path to victory, including winning many of those red wall constituencies again. Which, so, so I disagree with that article. I don't think it's all over. But you did just say there's a narrow window to try to yeah, grip well, things. Yeah, I think there is yourself... quite a narrow window. There's only 18 months, uh, you know, really, till the next general election. Yeah. And as you know, Laura, as a seasoned political journalist, the last 12 months, no one's really listening. It's all about the election campaign. So we've got about six months to get this right. And finally, the Conservative MP Theresa Villiers told Ridge that Matt Hancock had at least one supporter in Westminster. Uh, Matt Hancock is going to be is in the final of I'm a Celebrity. Do you want to see him win? Well, I, I think it would be great if he won. I have to say, when it first started, I found it very difficult to watch, but he's done fantastically well. I've certainly been voting for him and I wish him well with a final. <laughs> oh, great, I love it. Then we've got a bit of an insight into who's voting for Matt Hancock. Why did you find it difficult to watch at the beginning? Well, I, I mean, I suppose it's a fairly sort of excruciating sort of thing to see people, people go through. Buried alive or gunged or yeah, made to eat various parts of animals' anatomies. But he, he's, he showed incredible resilience and bravery going through those, those tasks and people can, can see him for the you know, the, the, the engaging and, you know, and, and, and sort of a great human being that he is. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Matthew Taylor. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week.